Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Hey, my name is Spence. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy. Before we get into our message, I want to invite you uh, right after this service, right here, I'm going to host right here at the front of the stage, host a little reception that we call Starting Point here at Mercy Church. Uh, If you're new with us, this is your first step to kind of move out uh, from the crowd and move into and at least learn what life at Mercy Church is all about, who we are all about, and what it might look like to take a next step with us, all right? There's just, reality is a whole lot of new faces around Mercy Church, and so if that's you, I'd love to get to know you. Uh, Some of our other pastors and staff team members will be here helping me host that, about 15, 20 minute sort of orientation to who Mercy Church is, and I'd love for you to take that next step, all right? Like I said, right after the service, right down front right here, and I'll be hosting that. With that said, we're going to jump into our passage for today. So uh, you got your Bible, head over to Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon. We're going to get into chapter two today. Uh, We're in this series of sermons through this book, and we're talking about what God has to say about love. What he has to say about your love life, about dating, romance, marriage, and sex. He presents this wonderful vision, wonderful vision of your love life throughout this book. And what we've been saying is that human love is a, it's a reflection of God's divine love. God's love is the real deal, and you see a reflection of God's love in human love. And so the big takeaway of the series is about understanding God's love first, and then human love in light of God's love, right? So our big idea, we've been saying, I'm going to say it every week to you, is that God is love. God is the one who made love, and God is the one who gives love. And so the call on us is to say, I will pursue his way of love in my life. God is love. God made love, and God is the one who gives love, so I'm going to pursue his way of love in my life. Each week, this principle is going to become more and more important because the further we get into the book, the more God's way of love and the world's way of love are going to differ. You're going to start seeing more and more of a chasm between the two. You'll see it today because today we're going to talk about dating, and boy, oh boy, is this going to meet some of you right where you are. We spent the past two weeks, of course, so that we could do this. We had to spend the first two weeks talking about who we are as individuals, right? We talked about the godly man and the godly woman because our relationships with one another are are kind of doomed if we don't understand who God has called us to be individually. So now we're moving into dating. We're going to see our shepherd guy come and take his girl, the Shulamite woman, out on a date. In chapter one, there was some, you know, flirting, there were some friends hanging around, you know, kind of a group date situation. There was even this little visit at work, but now their relationship is taking the next step. Now, I do want to say, as we look at dating here, I want to acknowledge that the Bible does not have uh, a category for dating like the modern culture we live in has, all right? Modern culture has turned dating into like a, a game or a status. Let's hook up for a while, have a good time. 
But maybe this will lead somewhere, maybe it won't, but we're just kind of having fun. The Bible does not have that category of dating because, well, because God loves you. (laughs) And God wants something better for you in your life. So the Bible tends to treat what we would say is dating as an assessment for marriage. That's the purpose of dating. In fact, for some of y'all, that needs to be your big takeaway from the whole day. The purpose of dating is to see if y'all should get married. So if you're not ready for marriage... Well, then you shouldn't date, all right? And by the way, this whole thing, this assessment, it's not cold and calculated like an algorithm or something like that. No, you're going to see as we unpack this that it's actually warm and beautiful like springtime, but it does have a purpose, which, which I love. And by the way, married people, I know this sermon is going to feel largely directed towards single people, but y'all, the reality is you shouldn't stop dating when you get married, All right, that's some of y'all's biggest problem. and It just hasn't felt like springtime in your marriage in a long time. You're in the thick of a 20-year winter, you know. I'm praying that God will use this series and maybe even this sermon. Y'all, it's a serious prayer that I've been praying is that he would use this view of love and the love that he has for you and the love that he wants for your marriage to thaw the ice a little bit. And we'll talk about that more as we go today. All right. As we go into this, we're going to start in verse 8. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't have a lot of structure in this sermon for you. I'm going to make some observations as the passage unfolds. I'm going to show you the prevailing lies of culture where we see them when it comes to dating and try and show you the better way of Jesus. My hope is to help singles and marrieds alike figure out, by the way, I don't really like saying singles and marrieds. I just recognize that these sermons naturally kind of group into two different things, but they're pretty awkward labels. So just know I know that, okay? Uh, but my hope is regardless of your marital status, to help you pursue God's way of love in your dating life. So here comes verse 8, Song of Solomon chapter 2. Y'all ready? Yeah! Let's do it. All right. Listen, this is the girl. My love is approaching. Look, here he comes. There needs to be some gusto, okay? That's what I'm trying to include in here in God's word, all right? Leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. This dude's excited about his girl. He is in full sprint towards her, and she is excited about him. She can, she's listening out for his steps, right? She's seeing what a leaper her man is, you know? He's <laughs> bounding down to her, right? My love, verse 9, is like a gazelle or a young stag. In other words, he's a stud. (laughs) This is such an intentional animal choice. He's not dangerous like a lion, tiger, or bear, oh my. No, no. He's not, nor is he though, some cute little chipmunk. Uh Uh-uh. He's a stag. He's a stud. He's swift. He's handsome. He's curious. He's strong, but he's not violent. And in springtime, he is very eager to find a female gazelle. And she is that beautiful doe. And this is one of the first things about dating here. This isn't like even super deep theology or anything. But dating should be exciting like this. It should excite you to think about going on a date with him or going on a date with her. If you're dating just to date, or if if you get a text from him or her at the person you're dating and it makes you cringe, like that might be a problem, okay? There should be a level of excitement to this dating process. Look what she says next. See, he is standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. And I know what you're thinking. That's illegal, right? (laughs) He shouldn't be doing that. All right. Important to remember something here. Remember the metaphor. He's the stag. 
He's not peeping Tom, okay? He's a curious stag, and he's yearning for her. Very important, let's all agree that the Bible never, dis- never encourages stalking anywhere at any part in it, okay? What's actually happening is this whole time she's been watching him come, she's been watching him, and now he's been bounding and leaping, and he's arrived, and he has come to whisk her away, and she's just still not ready to go out yet, okay? Uh, that happens sometimes, fellas, in dating, all right? And you need to know that's okay. All right, you can still be eager. He's not impatient with her. He just wants to see his girl. He's not sitting out there impatient, controlling. Like it's seven o'clock. He's blowing her up. Thirty texts. Where are you? No, don't be that guy. All right. By the way, I'm gonna explain a little bit of the deeper heart issue behind your unhealthy jealousy and controlling problem later. And it is a problem that will sabotage your relationship. But that's gonna come in a few minutes. Let's look at verse ten. She says, "My love calls to me." And now here's his response to her. Arise, my darling. Come away, beautiful, my beautiful one. For now the winter is past. The rain has ended and gone away. The blossoms appear in the countryside. The time of singing has come. The turtle doves cooing in the heart of our land. The fig tree ripens its figs. The blossoming vines give off their fragrance. It's full on springtime. The seasons are going to be used throughout this as metaphors, right? Depictions of their love. What's springtime? It's the time for new life. It's blooming of new flowers. Winter was that cold, dark time before they knew each other, right? And this is how new couples act, right? It's at the same time inspiring and a little bit annoying, right? Oh, the time of singing has come, the turtle doves cooing. What I want to say here is that This young love is to be celebrated, and that's what's happening here. This is part of how you know you met someone good for you. Springtime in your dating is a little bit like a Disney movie, right? You you know your boo isn't perfect, but their flaws just don't bother you. They're just those cute little quirks, you know? And your friends can see it in you because you're not quite as negative as you used to be. You know, last year when the Panthers lose a game, you're screaming at the TV and tweeting about the refs for the next three hours, but now you're like, oh, there's a game today? I forgot I was writing a sonnet about her smile and just lost track of time. You know, this is different. You can tell what's happening here. They're, they're coupling up. This is the can you feel the love tonight scene in Lion King, right? And the natural reaction for some of you may be, well, yeah, that'd be great. I really want that. But where am I supposed to find this mythical stag or doe? I'm looking. Well, what I want to actually do is point out a couple of lies that I see poisoning the dating scene that may be blinding us a little bit to God's way of love, okay? I want to acknowledge these in our culture. The first is the one, and the other one is the list, all right? First, the lie about the one. Some of you are just, you're waiting on the one, and you keep holding out for the one, and once you meet the one, somehow when the one shows up, everything's just going to click, and you're kind of functioning like all the mistakes that you've been making and all the things you've been thinking wrong about relationships up to this point are just going to magically vanish away because you find the one. Listen to me. I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I do believe he knows every single minute and every single detail about what's going to happen in your life. But the modern idea that there is just one sitting out there who will complete you That's a lie from the pit of Hollywood. Tom Cruise has lied to all of us, okay? And I'm sorry, but there's no one man or one woman who can complete you. That's because the only way you can be a complete person is in Christ. A man or a woman cannot complete you. 
And when we as the church buy into the you complete me idea of the one, here's what we're doing. You recognize this. We're telling single brothers and sisters that they are incomplete without a spouse. We must not do that. Here's why. Well, Ephesians 5.30 is going to tell us that the whole idea of marriage anyways, it's a, a picture that in this mysterious way, Paul says, he even runs out of words for figuring out how to articulate it, but this picture, marriage is a picture, and it is referring to Christ and the church. Marriage isn't even the point of marriage. Marriage is a message. It's supposed to tell people about the all-fulfilling and intimate forever commitment that you can find in Christ. So you don't need the picture of that love. You need that love. And it's in that love where you will find fulfillment. And you were designed for it. All of us were. So that if you're feeling that tug to, to be loved, to want to love someone, to, to be accepted, to be known by another, that's all a good thing. Don't run away from that. You were created for that. Just make sure you're going to the right source to find that fulfillment. Let me say something. I'm, I don't know what your situation is and... I, man, I pray so much about these sermons as we're in Song of Solomon because some of y'all are coming in with some real hurt. Some of you are coming in with baggage. Uh, we're just in a bunch of different places. This is why God gives us a, a church family so that we can love one another right where we are. Maybe you're not experiencing, maybe you're experiencing the furthest thing from love right now. Middle and high schoolers, listen up. Often high schoolers, I'll see them bounce, and it's true on into adulthood from one hookup to the next, and you're doing so because you don't have confidence that anybody really loves you. So let me say, let me draw you back to John 3, 16. When it says, for God so loved the world, take it and just put yourself right in the world. For God so loved you, he loved you. That's the intensity of the love of God for you that he gave his one and only son for you so that you wouldn't perish in your sin but have eternal life. That love, you're never going to be able to love others fully. You're never going to be able to receive love in a healthy way until you embrace God's love for you. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ went and he died for us. That's his love for you. Jesus is the one who will complete you. And that means, and if that's true, that's what this means. This is not easy to hear in a romance-saturated culture. Some of you, God is going to call to remain single for the rest of your life. And that isn't just okay. It's actually a gift. It's not just okay and you'll be able to make it. No, it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift. I mean, I think about um, Paul, 1 Corinthians 7. What does he say? That singleness, he wishes that everyone else could remain like he is, could remain single so they can devote themselves to the work of the Lord. It's not like it's sin to get married, he says. It's okay and good if that's what happens, but your heart's going to be divided, your attention's going to be divided. But for some, he wishes for the gift of singleness so they could be like he is and devote their attention to the Lord. Jesus could have been married if he wanted to be married, right? No, he's single, devoting himself fully to the work of the Father. Think about our, um, our friend, uh, I mentioned her last week, Bonnie, this great friend of ours, um, been single her whole life and is a spiritual mother to so many. She's a gift, and she's been able to devote herself solely to the work of the Lord. Because y'all look, you try and put all the weight of the one on somebody else, the weight that only Jesus can carry on another person, they're just not going to live up to it. They're not. So what does that mean for dating? It means you take the pressure off of finding the mythical one, and instead, you look at who God has sovereignly placed around you. 
Look around you. You know, I think of, um, I, I told you when we were starting this series, when I was in college, I, I watched with a group of guys, this Bible study by Tommy Nelson on the Song of Solomon. He said, the way to try and figure out who you should date, and I think this is a pretty good just general concept. He's like, you just run the race with endurance, Hebrews 12. You run the race. And then you look beside you and see who's running the same race at the same pace. And that's, you say, oh, well, you want to run together? You know, that's a little bit of what dating is like because you're devoting yourself to the one who can actually carry the weight of the love that you need. Then you look to the right or to the left. That's the first lie. The second lie I see is the list. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes Christians have a shopping list with check boxes that a potential spouse needs to check off for you to even have a conversation with them. And look, you, you should have standards, okay? You should. I'm not saying just date any fool. But I'm saying sometimes our standards are so specific and lofty that if Jesus were here himself, you'd be like, I don't know. I don't know if he's really, really the one. Don't take that. God, I, I will say, I want to, I know we just talked about the godly man, godly woman um, last week, last past two weeks. Don't take that list and weaponize it. All right. And all of a sudden you're weaponizing it against a potential spouse and say, no, you don't meet up because you don't check off. Yes, he or she needs to love Jesus. Yes, for sure. All right. That is a standard. That's a non-negotiable, okay? Not just check the box of Christian, love Jesus. All right, here's the way I used to tell um, our student ministry. I made up a little limerick for them to remember how important it is to love Jesus, all right? Particularly, I'm going to talk to the ladies here. Listen, if his abs are fantastic, but his Bible's still in plastic, he's not for you. (laughs) But if his abs are flabby, and his Bible's worn and shabby, you can say I do. All right? That was just like this little, we're going to make Jesus the first one there. Jesus is the non-negotiable. He's the love Jesus. And yes, you should also enjoy being with them and being attracted to them. But that, that person, whoever it is, is going to have flaws. They're going to disappoint you. All right, um, the way Kathy Keller talked about this, it's either in the book or the workbook, on the meaning of marriage that she and Tim Keller wrote together. She said, the way you need to think about a potential spouse, too often we think about the finished product, like the sculpture of uh, some, some like stone marble sculpture, and it's all finished, and we're like, that's what we're looking for. And she said, what you need to be looking for is a raw block of marble that the Lord is beginning to do the work of chipping away that stone and creating them into what will one day be on the other side of glory, that finished sculpture. And you decide... Do I want to be a part of what the Lord is doing there? Do I want to be a part of, do I want the Lord to use me in being a part of seeing that person become who God has created them to be? By the way, I'm going to tell you, um, I, I'm not going to tell you in all of this, because when it comes to the list, I feel like this is the right spot. Just interject for a second, this whole idea of, um, or this reality of dating apps that we have in our world. I'm not going to tell you whether or not they're sinful. I imagine they are for some and not for others. What I'll say is they seem to promote the idea of a shopping list spouse. So you just got to be aware of that, all right? Uh, and you got to be real with whoever it is. That's, that's a way to honor them is to be real um, with that person. So if you use Match, Hinge, Coffee Meats, Bagel, Bumblebee, Tuna, whatever it is that you're using, please, oh, please be sure that if you do decide to date, do it in community together with others, okay? Um, let others see your relationships. what I mean by that. More on that in a second. All right. She, uh, he finishes up by saying, arise, my darling. Says it a second time. Arise, my darling. The end of verse 13. Come away, my beautiful one. 
All I want you to see here is that the second time, the way he's kind of bookended his call to her, is it's him leading. Men, I want you to lead. Remember what we said about the godly man. A godly man rejects passivity and accepts responsibility. And this means taking a step of courage and leading in the dating space. I've seen so many ways guys try to avoid leading and try and figure out another way to wind up in the dating space, right? I've got names for them. You know, there's Bat Boy Barry, who waits till she's all alone and then he just kind of appears out of nowhere. He's the guy who's always waiting by the bathroom and then all of a sudden here he is, he's there right beside her, but he never steps up to the plate. He just kind of hangs around and hopes that a relationship will all of a sudden appear out of that. There's Perez the player who comes in real strong talking himself up, right? Tries a smooth line that feels like he heard it on TikTok and rehearsed it in the mirror, you know what I mean? Um, If you are a player... That's how people would talk about you. You have a problem because dating isn't a game. Dating is an assessment process for marriage. So if you're good at playing the game, that's a real problem. That's why you need community of some brothers to call you out in that. There's friend zone Frank, right? He's the guy who's just kind of always friends with. You all talk, you get along, but he never makes his interest known because he doesn't want to face the possibility of rejection. Um, Friend zone Frank's brother is... uh, flirty Fred, right? He flirts all the time. Y'all text him back and forth. You go drives alone and everything else, but then he never steps up. Listen, even second graders know when you're spending a whole lot of time together that they know what that's code for. All right. And some of you guys, listen, I, this is me being uh, older brother in the faith saying, I'm going to assume the best. And maybe you're just a little bit thick headed and not realizing what is happening, all right? But if you have a friend, a single friend who's a female, you're a single guy, and y'all been texting a whole lot and spending a whole lot of one-on-one time together, she's wondering, what's going on here? So you need to honor your sister and either take a step into a dating relationship, call out the turtle doves cooing and arise, come away, my darling, or not. You just step back. You need to honor her with that, all right? Don't be those guys. Step up, ask her out, but as you do, do it gently. Look at verse 14. My dove, this is him talking to her, calls her a dove. In the clefts of the rock and the crevices of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. He's, it's, for him, this process of calling out his girl It's like calling a dove to come out of the rock face. That's how gentle he is to her. And what's he interested in? He's interested in her face and her voice. That's what's attractive to him. He's honoring her. We'll talk about this more in a minute. This is why sex sabotages dating. Because I can't get to know the true you if I'm only with you to satisfy my own sexual impulses. He's a student of her. He sees her. Man, you need to have a double major because one of your degrees needs to be her. Know her. Guys, step up. Gently ask her out. Don't be vague about it. Hey, I'd love to maybe spend some time together sometime. There's no sometime on the calendar, okay? There are days and there are minutes and hours, all right? Instead, hey, there's a concert next Tuesday at PNC. Mick Jagger is still singing, apparently, (laughs) right? Would you like to go with me? And then, listen, give her a minute, okay? Because you've been planning this for months. 
You've rehearsed it with your community group guys, like you be the girl, I'll be the guy, you know, you've done all that. And you've texted and you've, y'all been fasting for a week. You're like, hey, guys, today's the day. I'm going to do it. You know, you've been prepping on this, but she is just getting this news. Okay, so don't just like ask and then stare at her. Okay, follow it up with something that gives her an out. Think about it. You know, check your schedule. I'll follow up tomorrow, something like that. And you're, you're sitting there looking at me like, Pastor Spence, I cannot believe you're spending time in your sermon being this specific and simple and elementary about the dating process. I can't either. But that's where we are, all right? But I'm trying to help you. Because this, this is the best Charlotte has to offer here, okay? These are people actually trying to love and follow Jesus. I want us to get it right. And ladies, I told you last week, your words are so powerful. So please honor your brothers if they're courageous enough to treat you with this kind of honor. It's okay if you're not interested. I don't mean just give them a pity date. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about letting him down in a way that honors his courage, okay? And now, let me talk to the married men and women. Men, you need to ask your wife out on a date. A date that you plan. A date that you already know the destination for. If y'all are backing out of the driveway and you go, where you want to go? <laughs> Something wrong has happened. That's not good, okay? Because here's why. She looks at you at work, and she sees you leading at work. She sees you building like plans and strategies for accomplishing objectives, months, and you got something in the plan for 2025, right? But then when it comes to her, you're just going to wing it? No, plan something. Buy her flowers that you give to her at the start of your date. Go so far as to know what's happening in your family and plan accordingly. Take her to a place with no TVs, all right? Or, or whatever your idea of um, romance is in your marriage, okay? Something different. Maybe it's a picnic that you go on, right? Like picnic in the park or something like that. That's cool too. You make the plan. I know you can do this, guys. You got her to marry you. Somehow that happened, okay? So I know you got it in you. This is, I'm praying. And, and again, married ladies, I'm trying to help him thaw the ice in your relationship. So I got to ask you to be open to this, right? No matter how clumsy he is celebrate it. Like I said, we men are easy to train, all right? You celebrate what we do, we'll repeat it, okay? And together, what's going to happen is y'all are going to work towards the kind of intimate companionship that God has created marriage to be. I promise you it's going to be worth maybe the clumsiness if it hadn't happened in a while. Verse 15, she says, after this invitation, she says, listen, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards. For our vineyards are in bloom. Again, this, this garden has a vineyard. It's the whole springtime of their relationship. And she says, catch the foxes. Because as these buds, these new blossoms are just beginning to show, foxes can come in and eat them and ruin the vineyard. The vineyard needs protection. So the natural question is, what are the foxes that can ruin the vineyard of budding romance? What are they? Well, really, they are any little thing that can destroy a relationship as it's just getting started, or that can destroy a relationship that's been around for a while, but it's finally starting to thaw. Well, let me give you one um, specific, well, I'll give you maybe three that I think that I see that are common. The first, I'm going to call sexual immorality, because that's what the Bible calls it. The Bible says when it says sexual immorality, it's immoral because it's against anything that is sex outside of marriage, 
That's what the Bible calls porneia. It's actually the Greek word. It's where we get our word pornography from. It's anything outside of marriage. Sex is for marriage. And listen, the reason that's so important, said it a minute ago, physical intimacy, especially for those of you that are um, just starting to date, like a new relationship, it short circuits the important work happening in the dating process. You need to be listening to one another, sharing with one another about who you are and what God's calling you to in life and figuring out as you're running the race, is this the person that I want to run with? That's why some of you probably need to break up because you chose physical intimacy first and your relationship is a hot mess because you never got to know that person apart from the physical. That's right, but this is why. Right before this whole date starts, what happens? Romans, uh, excuse me, Song of Solomon 2, 7. She says, young women... Of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Because this physical, adding that into what's going on here, it's, it's toxic for a relationship. You know, um, this comedian Aziz Ansari, who I normally don't quote for advice in a sermon, okay? Um, but he wrote a book called Modern Romance that I thought was very, like, if you want to just understand where culture's at and everything, very telling, um, very insightful. Because he even said, um, he said, you know, there's, um, there's these folks that can't figure out the difference between passionate love and companionate love. He said, passionate love, that's that, you know, the feelings are wonderful, they're intense. And he's talking about this sexual activity inside of the dating process. And he says, but they can't last And most of us think when those feelings begin to fade, it's time to go find a new passionate love. But for those who push through passionate love over time, companion love develops and actually proves to be deeper, stronger, a more lasting type of love. What he's kind of getting just in the Imago Dei put on him and and seeing it, though he can't fully understand it, is that God's way of love is going to lead to flourishing in a way that the world's way of love never can. It just can't. Listen, that's one. Another one that I see, another fox, is um, relationship idolatry. This is resting the weight of your soul on that other person. We talked a little bit about that with the one. Um, That jealousy and control problem I brought up briefly earlier. Here's what I'll say. If you have all you need in Christ, then you'll be able to honor that person in the relationship. You'll be wondering where they are every second, freaking out about any and every conversation they have with someone else. You won't idolize them. You'll be able to honor them. And a good way to think about this is if the two of you break up, you've treated each other in such an honorable way that you don't have to change churches because you broke up. Right? You're at, because you're brother and sister in Christ. You should tell students, man, you need to make sure that if that's not going to be your wife, man, she's probably going to be somebody's wife or he's going to be somebody's husband. There's a, a good chance. You want to make them better prepared. Like they're better off and more ready for whatever the Lord would have next because of their time with you. Another fox, man, this is isolation. This is where the two of you couple off and hide yourselves from anybody and everybody else. This ruins so many relationships. You got googly eyes for each other, and so you intentionally wait. Maybe you don't even realize it. You create a relationship nobody can see. Some people know you, some people know him. Or some people know her, but nobody knows the both of you. And some seriously unhealthy patterns start to develop because you got these massive blind spots. You got to date in community. You got to ask your friend to be their friend. Man, listen, especially true as you start to move in from like those initial dates to like a, what I'll call 
It's a little bit of an old word, old English word, courtship. Just more of a like, yeah, we're definitely pursuing marriage. And you need to have some friends around you to say, yeah, this is good or not good for you, like the daughters of Jerusalem are in Song of Solomon. Let me, let me keep going. Let me go to uh, verse 16. The woman says, My love is mine, and I am his. He feeds among the lilies. So what you're starting to see now is when the foxes are caught, when he has done this, men, when you have been a a Christ-like leader, you know, clearing out those foxes, doing so with gentleness and love in a way that helps her to see Jesus in you, look at what's happening. My love is mine and I am his. He feeds among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn around, my love, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the divided mountains. All right, so we've kept the, spring, the metaphor of springtime and gazelles. In verse 9, he was gazing. In verse 16, he's now grazing. In verse 8, he's leaping over the mountains. And in verse 17, he is on them. Look, the lilies are her body. The divided mountains are in Hebrew the mountains of Bether, or literally the two split mountains. What does this mean? Exactly what you think it means, okay? She's expressing her desire for her stag to come graze, okay? All night until the day breaks. Married couples, this is a healthy and good destination of dating. Not always, I know, but the natural progression of thoughtfulness, of romance, of listening and sharing, the natural progression of emotional intimacy is physical intimacy, not in a bartering situation, like give me emotional connection, I'll give you physical connection. No, it's a serving situation. It's a loving situation. We will look to serve one another and enjoy one another, and, and that will lead to intimacy. Now, if you're single and dating, what you need to, again, be affirmed in is the good and right desire for physical intimacy, which is the part of the reason dating is a pathway to marriage, right? I I want to join with the course of friends that she talks to and say, I want to say, like this woman says in 2.7, though, don't awaken love until the proper time. Look back at, look back at verse 16, though. I'm going to close here. My love is mine, and I am his. What a total statement of deep love. See that? This is the statement of marriage. You know, in God's economy, math works a little bit different when it comes to marriage. One plus one equals one. All right, it's me and you are now us, inseparably one. And that's why Paul says this is a picture of Christ's love for you. I'm not ignorant about the world we live in. I know I briefly talked about sexual immorality, but I recognize most of you, statistics would say, come in here with a past riddled with sexual sin. Plenty of you have told no one. You carry it around, and you, ca- you will carry that into a relationship. Others of you have just have a history of dating that's pretty rough. Uh, maybe you've just been hurt, or maybe you've been the one doing the hurting and not being the person God calls you to be. In other words, I'm over here talking about a future that you can have, but you got these ghosts walking around and you keep looking back at your past, whether married or single. You know, there's this um, moment in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is going to Peter's house for dinner. And there's this woman of the city who comes in. Woman of the city, translation prostitute. She comes in, she starts weeping at his feet. 
She's wiping his feet with her tears. She's anointing his feet with perfume. And the Pharisees, Peter among them, are like, she's a sinner. What's he doing? Why would he associate with her? And Jesus says, listen, Peter. And he quickly goes into a little little aside, a little teaching lesson. He said, there's this lender who all of a sudden calls in all of his debts and two people walk in and one person owes him $5, the other owes him $500. And the lender says, hey, I just want you to know that both of your debts are forgiven. Jesus looks at Peter and says, which one will love him more? And Peter says, well, the one who owed 500. And he says, bingo. That's what's happening in that moment. You took me for granted, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. She gets it. Look at verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you, so go in peace. The ESV translate that, go and sin no more, because your faith has saved you. He doesn't say, sin no more and then come receive salvation. No. No, I want to say to those of you who feel like the church is a place where maybe you're like, you're a little bit nervous about us talking about this because you feel like you can't be here because you're not clean or something because your dating past is a sinful past. I want to direct your eyes to the heart of Christ who says, that's exactly how you come to him. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her works didn't save her. Her faith did. Believe the gospel. That's why we say the gospel is at the center of all we do. The hope of us talking about all of this is this kind of grace. You can change direction no matter how far you've gone. That's the hope of Christ. As you turn, you repent of your sin, and you turn back to him, and he is there to heal you. And you can go forward in peace. You can find forgiveness. It's incredible. It's just repent and believe. Spouses, maybe that's what you need to do with one another. Repent of your sin towards one another. Whether sins of commission or sins of omission, you've been ignoring one another, you've been distancing and the ice has been thick, repent of your sin and go forward in peace together. Single men, single women, repeat, repent of your sin and go forward in peace, trusting in Christ. That's why we're going to close today taking communion. If you've got those communion elements, I want, to ask you to get you, uh, I want you to get those out now. I want to leave you, lead you in a brief time of response, and then we'll take the elements together. If you would, get into a posture of prayer, bow your head and close your eyes. Let me just let you respond to the Lord for whatever he might be convicting you of. You don't have to make your prayer really pretty, eloquent. No, just right where you are. Maybe you need to remember the God. Christian, you need to remember God's love for you in Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for Christ. Thank you for saving me. I want to go forward in peace, and I recognize now, recognize now man, I just need to remember your love and rest in it. Repent of your sin. If you're not a Christian, you might be holding the elements, but I don't want you to take them. Instead, 
At this moment, what I want to call you to do is to repent of your sin and believe the gospel of grace. Today, you can be forgiven of your sins and have new life in Christ. That's what the whole marriage and love relationship is to point you towards. God is love. God made love. God gives love. You pursue his way of love in your life, and it starts with pursuing, with receiving his grace. Say, God, I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, God, for saving me. And you will go forward today in peace. In peace with your God. God, thank you for your grace. Oh, thank you. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I recognize how far short my words will fall compared to your great and measurable love for us. So use this sermon, use this time, God, for our edification, for your glory. Will we see you rightly? Even as we step into the sacred meal you have given us together, will we do this in a way that brings glory to you, draw us back to the heart of the Father, I pray. Amen. I want you to take out the bread that's in that thing you have, whatever this is. Christ gave this meal as a a reminder, this tangible reminder of his love for us. Man, he went in your place. What grace. Man, what fathomless. You'll never reach the bottom of the grace of Christ. And he said to his disciples, take this, and as often as you eat, this this represents my body, given for you. So take, eat, church, and remember Christ. Then you can take and open the cup. Christ said this, cup as he passed it around to the disciples. It represents his blood that was going to be poured out on the cross as a debt payment for their sin and for your sin and mine. So your blood doesn't have to be spilt for you to be reconciled to God, for you to go forward in peace. No, the payment has been made. And so when you take this, it's an act of worship. It's an act of belief and trust and celebration. Yes, I believe Christ's blood has set me free from the penalty of my sin, has given me new life and life forevermore. So church, in the hope of eternity and thanksgiving for the blood of Christ, take, drink, and remember Christ. Will you stand with me? Father, thank you. Oh, God, as your church sings one more time with one voice, thanksgiving for who you are and what you've done, I pray that we would do so with hearts of gratitude. Increase our love for you. Yes, we pray for these marriages. We pray for whether it's married or single, whatever station we're in. God, I pray that that would kind of fall to the side for just a little bit, that we might be able to just worship you as sons and daughters. Thank you, Father.
for granting us peace with you. We worship you in your holy name. Amen.